Why don't we go ahead and get started? <clears throat> All right. Amen. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> what I'm going to do is give you a little book review and a little bit more on. Uh, I'm going to use this book more as a springboard. Did you want to introduce this whole thing, Robbie? Okay, what we're going to do is about uh, 40 minutes. We'll knock off at 10 after, so I'm going to cram as much as I can in the time that we've got. Can I add a comment? Please. Now, for local interest here, for those of you who are from Houston, this is gives you a little background on this book. Johnny V. Miller was if not the founding pastor of Cypress Bible Church here, he was close to it. He And, and I almost did my pastoral internship under him in, 19, in, the, in the 70s when I was in seminary. At that time, he was a strict young... I've got a pamphlet that he wrote on young earth creationism. And I first heard him speak at, um, at a Campanile... Uh, college and career class on cre- on creation issues, a conference like this, uh, back at probably around 1974-75, and I, I I knew him really really well, and then we lost touch over the years, and he went on and did other things and got influenced by a lot of human viewpoint, and I was I read this book or a book review of this book about maybe a year and a half ago, and was was just uh, a you know, really disappointed that he had shifted positions to an old earth assimilationist position. And this is what's happening across evangelicalism. So, and the other thing is the other guy he wrote it with is with Lancaster Bible College. And Lancaster Bible College bought out Washington Bible College and Capital Bible Seminary, where Dan Ingram went to seminary. And they've, in, they, they've now shifted the theology of that school. So, yeah. So anyhow, here's a, uh, just that's just a little background to give you a little more per, sort of a personal Houston connection there. So Robbie had his influence on Johnny Miller. <laughs> Before I give you a little uh, kind of uh, review of the book, and I'll do that somewhat quickly, I want to use it just to kind of make you aware, when you speak of creationism, creationism is not monolithic. and In fact, there's a large divide within the body of Christ. And I know a lot of creationists that believe in inerrancy, believe in inspiration, are very conservative theologically, but hold to a different viewpoint than what Steve Austin or myself or a young earth creation viewpoint holds to. I don't know if you're aware of that controversy within the church, but basically the majority of the churches, the majority of pastors, the majority of Christianity, if they are creationist, they the majority tends to be old earth. We are always, as you know, a minority usually. But our viewpoint, I believe, is more biblically based, and I think the science is there to back it up as well. So with that little introduction, what you're going to find is a lot of books like this one that have been influenced by the secular, and I think it's secular scientific theory and and thinking. And there is a problem. There is an inconsistency between what 
somewhat of current, you might say current, secular science looks at when it comes to uh, issues of origins. And we as creationists have been trying to catch up with where the world's at. And in large measure, we haven't uh, given all of the answers yet. But I believe the better answers are from a creationist perspective, which takes the Bible in its grammatical, historical, contextual sense. In other words, a literal interpretation. Uh, There's a whole school of thought. And seminaries have been affected. In fact, Johnny Miller, as Robbie was mentioning here, uh, those are his credentials. He graduated. He's got a Ph.D. from Dallas Seminary. And a large portion of some of the professors there take an old earth view. In fact, I'm not sure if there are any at the Hebrew department that take a young earth. There used to be, in fact, the whole school used to be generally young earth up until, I don't know, last 30 or so years. So also John Soden, those are his his, uh, uh, dates of uh, graduation uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary. They titled the book, In the Beginning We Misunderstood. And I'll explain how that comes up. Well, first of all, uh, Robbie gave you a little bit there. Raised in fundamentalist Bible teaching churches. And apparently one associated with one here in the Houston area. Believes in, in fact, very strong. This book is very strong in putting forth the idea of inspiration and inerrancy. And I don't doubt their sincerity. Okay, Uh, Henry Morris had a big influence on uh, Miller. In fact, as Robbie said, he was young earth, very solidly taught it. And as he went off, I guess, to school, had some doubts about the age of the earth. This is where science has an influence. There is an answer, I believe, a young earth answer to all of this. A lot of the information is not out there, and people like Miller are probably not aware of data that's available to us as creationists, young earth creationists. So he had some doubts about the age of the earth, and he says in the book, in fact, the first chapter describes their background, both authors. 1997, he changed his thinking. He doesn't state it overtly, but... You kind of connect the dots, and connecting the dots, I think what he's influenced is current science theory. Remember what I said in the first talk? When you're trying to evaluate historical events, origins is a historical event, past event, historical, you always have assumptions. And if you adopt the scientific secular assumptions you can come up with a problem in terms of Genesis 1. There's a resolution, however. I won't have time to get into that. But anyway, he changed his thinking. And uh, another thing to emphasize, and I would agree 100% with his inspiration and inerrancy. I think he states it very clearly, very strongly, very unequivocally. He also, one of the most important hermeneutical principles, in other words, interpreting Scripture, Your goal in interpreting the biblical text is to try to find out what the author intended to communicate. Miller is strong on that as well. In fact, he states it about five or six times. He keeps emphasizing it throughout the book. So hermeneutically, he's coming from the same perspective we're coming from. 
The only problem, I think, uh, he may be even unaware of it, give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's influenced by scientific theory, and that drives the conclusions he comes to. So that's his background. Soden, similarly, raised studying ICR books. This is Young Earth. Very conservative. This is where Steve Austin, he works for ICR. Uh, is, did undergraduate study in the physical sciences, so he has a science background. He also has, obviously, the theological background. And in his studies of the physical sciences, he saw conflicts between Genesis 1 and science. There are conflicts. In fact, I think it's a mistake to try to harmonize science, secular, and now you'll qualify it, secular science, with uh, Genesis 1. Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Now, I believe that there is a true scientific explanation, a true approach to Genesis 1 that you can, in fact, harmonize, but you have to start with different assumptions. All right? So he did see some conflicts. There are conflicts. And uh, they also state, both of them, science does not determine the text's meaning. It'll help us to understand some text, but it does not determine it. So they're pretty strong hermeneutically. They're pretty strong theologically in terms of their view of Scripture. Uh, I think they deviate when they come to some conclusions. All right? And again, the goal, he, he states it overtly. What did God mean? And in this case, particularly Genesis 1. What did God mean? What did God intend? And through Moses, what was he trying to communicate? Uh, so that that's our goal. That's what we want. What did the Holy Spirit inspire? And what was the intended meaning of the original author, human as well as uh, divine author? So we wouldn't quibble over that. Okay. Now, quick review of the book. And I'm going to have to be real quick on this. Uh, after they explain their background, and by the way, he, uh, in the beginning, we misunderstood from that background of young earth, creationism, literal six-day creation, taking Genesis in its normal grammatical, historical, uh, contextual, hermeneutic, they came to the conclusion that the earth was relatively young. And that's in the beginning, and or in the book here in the beginning. The misunderstood part is... Well, we didn't notice some things in the text that indicate that maybe the author did not intend for us to understand days in that literal solar 24-hour context. All right? So a lot of the book deals with that. We've been here before, a whole chapter. That's the title of the chapter. So they go through kind of the historical Galileo thing and a couple of other examples of how the church was wrong and science was right. Okay? We've been here before. And the implication is they're setting the stage. Well, maybe if we are looking at this young earth idea, maybe we as believers are wrong again. We need to take a look at it. And maybe science can illuminate us here. Okay? Well, there's some problems there I don't, won't have time to get into. That's a three-hour talk itself. <clears throat> okay. Uh, spend a long chapter, in fact, a very good chapter. We would disagree with very little in that chapter, the, the next chapter. 
basically on interpreting scripture, author's intent, I already went over that, inspiration, inerrancy, the need for context, eliminating personal assumptions. That's what we want to do. No disagreement. Historical and cultural context, that's what you need to do hermeneutically. So we're on the same page. In fact, I would recommend the book for that purpose, uh, but you ought to stop there in your reading. (laughs) And again, science does not have ultimate authority over Scripture. So they overtly state that uh, the Scriptures basically are the authoritative bottom line, and we... The implication, and I take it one step further, I think this is the bottom line, but now we interpret science from a biblical framework. And by the way, if you want an example of a good book that's on the table, one of our own, uh, Cameron, he takes the same approach that we would take as Young Earth, and I think this is an excellent book, and I'd recommend it in terms of... uh, Uh, the issue of the sun, and he goes over all the biblical stuff on it and gets into a lot of scientific stuff as well. Uh, In fact, I enjoyed his book. And it's easy to read. Uh, He's a better writer than I am. I need somebody to... Anyway, science does not have ultimate authority over Scripture. But there are indications in the text to not take certain things literally. And that's the problem with the book. If Genesis 1 and 2 are literal, then we have conflicts with science. And I would agree, we do have conflicts with science. All right? Now, I qualify science with science as interpreted by the secularist. And one of the things the secularist does, they eliminate. In other words, it's naturalistic science. They eliminate revelation. And like I said in the first talk, that's our main source. That's documentary evidence. That's your best evidence. Okay, so they, that's where the problem is right there. Page 48. It leads us to conclude that it is broadly figurative presentation of literal truth, but figurative, figurative language. It is highly stylized, highly selective. Now, I would agree it's highly selective, but... Uh, What they're intending by highly stylized, I would disagree with. It does not report history. Now, I would totally disagree with that. I think what we have in Genesis 1 is a historical account of how how God actually created the universe. In fact, the issue is not, you know, why did God create in six days? The issue is, why did he need six days at all? He could have said, let there be a universe. And just like he said, let there be light. What happened? There was light instantaneously. He could have said the same thing. Let there be a universe. There was a full-blown universe. But we know the reason he created in six days, in the law, he set that up as a pattern for the work week and the observance of the Sabbath. And God didn't get tired either on the seventh day and needed rest because it was a laborious project. Okay. Well, it is reporting real history. So that's one of the problems of the book. That's where the problems begin. So the purpose is to give Israel's identity. I don't have too much problem with that. But he's moving away from some of the scientific issues, or they are moving away, and more in terms of the theological implications. History is meant to be read theologically. 
not historically, theologically. There's a difference there. All right? Focuses on theology of creation, not the mechanics of it. This is right out of the book. Number eight, part of the content here. Genesis 1, compared and distinguished. And, and this is another good uh, portion of it. In fact, a whole uh, part of the book, he goes into, they, they go into the detail of the Egyptian background. And most of that is very good as well. And I would agree, this is what we need to do. We need to, what did the Egyptians think? Because the, uh, the children of Israel were Egyptians. I mean, they were ethnically Jewish people, but where did they grow up? They grew up in Egypt. So they were indoctrinated, you might say, with the culture, the background, the history, everything Egyptian. Uh, don't think of them while they were in Egypt as Jews. They were Jews only ethnically. They were raised in that culture. So they do a good job of showing what Egyptian creation stories were like. Do the same thing with Mesopotamian because uh, the prominent uh, Enuma Elish and other creation stories, they would have been familiar with that. At least Moses would have been because he was educated as an Egyptian. And they were going to go into Canaan, so they needed to know what the Canaanites, what they believed in terms of creation. So they do an excellent job of tracing some of that, that background, and we ought to do the same, okay? And he says, God chose not to correct, and here's the problem. Now when Moses writes Genesis 1, he, they're saying God chose not to correct all the incorrect perceptions of the world. In other words, the Egyptian world, the Mesopotamian, the Canaanite uh, we see God does not correct, or God does correct, wrong theology. See the disconnect there? In other words, Moses doesn't deal with necessarily their scientific theories of the Canaanites, the Mesopotamians, etc. And the implication they leave is what we have in Genesis 1 may not be exactly literally history because Moses didn't intend to address that. Moses was interested in the theology, so they spent a long time uh, evaluating the theological disconnect between the Canaanites, Mesopotamians, and Egyptians. Got that? Okay. So, God does correct wrong theology, but His instruction does not depend upon accurate scientific observations. I'd say wrong. All right? And descriptions of the material world. Genesis 1 is a description of the material world. It's a biblical description. And you could view it scientifically. It doesn't fit secular science, but it is the science that we need to adjust secular science to. That's the difference. All right? Another quotation. God chose to connect with them on a level that they could understand. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I don't think that he overlooked some of the issues that would have that they could have understood scientifically from their perspective and i think it's written uh, genesis 1 is written in a form that uh, pretty much anyone from any culture could understand uh, you don't need a technical background to understand genesis 1 in fact your 10 year old son read it to him or have him read it and have him interpret it, and you're going to come up with better conclusions than if you go to a theologian that is old earth, that is familiar with science, and has a Ph.D. in science. 
Genesis 1 is not that complex. All right. Uh, God chose to connect with them on a level they could understand. God corrected their spiritual worldview, spiritual worldview. Not their physical picture of the world by teaching them who Yahweh, their God, was. I think he did both. Moses does both. The Holy Spirit does both. All right? More on the content. Uh, focus on theology, not crea- uh, creation, mechanics of it. Genesis 1 compared. Well, we went over that. Narratives are not always chronological. One of the major conflicts of Genesis 1 the evolutionary scheme and the secular scheme. You have uh, uh, the sun and the moon have to be created very, very early, not day four. And this is true of all of the compromises in terms of Genesis 1. Okay? Days of Genesis 1, not literal. That's the bottom line. Now, they don't take an overt position in terms of young earth, old earth, but it's clear that they're influenced and if you press them, they would have to say, based on what they write in the book, they are old earth. Uh, they try to make the point that they're not taking a position on it. But basically their position is laid out here. All right. And their concluding part is they want a theology, a, cre- a creation theology. So the last chapter, that's the title of the last chapter. Tor- or one of the last chapters, Toward a uh, Creation Theology. And what they do is try to show how the the biblical theological worldview differs. And this is what Moses is correcting. But it may not try to correct the the actual physical uh, world of uh, that ancient time. And therefore, it does not address the scientific issues then, nor does it deal with the scientific issues today. All right? There's some strengths, defense of inspiration, inerrancy, sound hermeneutics, repeated emphasis on author intent, background and cultural study of the Egyptian, Babylonian, Canaanites. I'm just kind of summarizing the strong points here. Attempt, and they do attempt to accurately treat the text. Uh, I think they're honest with their assumptions and their views, other than probably subconsciously not aware of what they're really coming to. Okay, weaknesses. They establish excellent hermeneutics, but then they violate their hermeneutics. And I think it it almost appears unawares. Secondly, they warn on injecting 21st century science on the text, then they inject their 21st century assumptions on the text. They do not clearly identify their view on the age of the earth. I mentioned that as well. So those are some of the weaknesses there. Now, just in conclusion here, I want to leave at least five or so minutes for uh, questions on the book. Uh, There are, I guess you could say, let's see, what do I have on this slide here? Okay, there are, uh, there's obviously, there, there are three approaches. There's the overtly secular approach that would totally just throw away Genesis 1 and totally disregard it. That would be the evolutionary, non-theological, physical earth view. But within the body of Christ, there are two schools of thought. And I introduced the first one where they accommodate the text. uh, And this is what they do in terms of the books that are available out there that I'm aware of. Now, I haven't read all of the books, but the ones that I have read tend to fall into two, two 
a few categories. One of them, they accommodate the text by injecting scientific theory on Genesis 1. This would be the overt injecting of scientific theory, books by Hugh Ross. And if you're familiar with him, he's probably the most well-known old earther, uh, non, uh, what's the word? Uh, well, old earth view, Hugh Ross. He's very popular. <clears throat> he appears on TV programs, uh, very well-known. A lot of churches invite him because he does defend the Bible scientifically, defend, you know. But he's old earth. I read his commentary on Genesis 1, and he, he clearly injects, I could give you some examples of some of his, if we were reviewing his books, but uh, a clear injecting of science theory. Don't forget that last word, theory, on Genesis 1. <clears throat> And what they do, in fact, as I was reading his commentary, I noticed kind of this pattern of what he was doing with the biblical text. Number one, they, they emphasize the supporting details of their interpretation, old earth interpretation. And there's some details that might help support that idea. They superimpose current scientific theories on the text. And then from that superimposition, they reinterpret the text to fit those theories. All right? And then fourthly, what they do is they ignore the non-supporting details. And that's not good exegesis. You want to deal with every detail of the text. And this is blatant, and this is very overt, and it doesn't take a scholar to really even see that. They just don't deal with the whole text, just the supporting part. So that's the Hugh Ross kind of group of writers that are out there. And when you do that, this is what happens to Scripture. You're trying to, trying to fit Scripture, square Scripture in a round hole there. Okay. The other approach is the, well, uh, the authority also, the bottom line for interpreting Scripture is science in the Hugh, Hugh Ross camp. That's the bottom line. In other words, science, if it contradicts science, then you do whatever gymnastic you need with the text to make the two fit. All right? Now, the other view, and it's the view of the book that we're reviewing here, the second one is seeking flexibility of Genesis 1 to harmonize with science. In other words, can we see if the language might allow for accommodation with certain scientific theories. That's this book here. And there's others kind of that would fit more in this camp. They're far more moderate. Uh, they're more careful with the text. They have better hermeneutics than the Hugh Ross group of commentators. So mainly what I want to call your attention to is books like this and, book, and others as well. And um, there's strengths, but you have to kind of read them with some discernment and uh, you'd be careful with them. Uh, there's far better books like uh, Cameron's book that are solidly young earth and definitely deal with science in a biblical, big, biblical way. So I hope I sell out all your books. <clears throat> and this view, the, the bottom line, the authority is a balance between Scripture and science. A balance between Scripture and science. The Ray Mondragon view 
not really. <laughs> Younger creationists interpret Genesis 1 using the grammatical historical contextual method, letting the text speak for itself. Don't try to change it. Don't try to manipulate it. Don't try to smooth it out. And reinterpret science theory because we have an inerrant piece of data to be in a position to be able to evaluate all thinking, including scientific th- uh, thinking. So we intru- interpret science theory, and the authority is Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Okay? Well, we have about ten minutes if you have some questions. Robbie's going to get you a mic. Nope. We on? You're on. What were the, uh, quote, uh, scriptural cues that they used to, yeah, that's um, a good question. to get to their conclusion? Yeah, they see, um, they see some of the, the terms. When he says stylized, what he means, it's, it's not evening and morning. It, it, it's just kind of giving you more poetic, evening, morning in a more poetic non-literal sense. But actually, if you turn that around, what he's doing is he's giving us details so that you actually have the impression Moses is emphasizing he's talking about a 24-hour period of time that has a daylight portion and has a night portion. But they take those words more flexibly, if you will, and interpret them more non-literally. And then, obviously, the days, they, they give reasons why there's little indication of the text for example, uh, the first, I think it's six days, it doesn't have in Hebrew, and they deal with a Hebrew text. First six days, let's see, I can't remember, does it have the, uh, there's a distinction in some of the days, some of them have the article and some of them don't. So they say, well, you know, that, that, that kind of opens a door for other possibilities here. So that's kind of what they do. There's somebody up here, Rob, Robbie? In fact, I've got all kinds of notes in my book here to kind of point out some of these problems. Do they have um, the, the death, disease, thorns, etc. before the fall of man? Is what, how do they deal with that? They have to deal with that, yeah. And they jump through gymnastics, to gymnastics, theological hoops to try to explain that away. Uh, like I said, they, they try to deal with some of the issues. In fact, the last two chapters are objections to their their position and yeah they they have to explain those things away yeah there are too many problems once you start deviating from the text you just open up all these other problems and the young earth creationists have done this is what Steve Austin was trying to convince us of doing good science and good science starts with good assumptions and particularly science that's done in the past your assumptions are absolutely essential. And if you start already with more of an influence on uh, with secular science, you have those assumptions, you're carrying a burden that just creates more problems that you have to solve like those. 
Um, do they ignore the fact that uh, historical narrative in the Hebrew goes conjunction, verb, subject, object, and the poetic goes subject, verb, object, so it's obvious whether it's poetic or historical narrative. It's not so obvious to them. <laughs> yeah, and, and, well, one of the things you have to remember is you've got one guy, Soden's got his Ph.D. in Hebrew from Dallas Seminary, and, and you know, unfortunately... Grammar isn't as hard and fast as people want to think it is. And and Miller got his THM in, in, in Old Testament, I believe, from Dallas. Yeah. yeah, let me give you their numbers here. So so this this is why it's important. One of the reasons I majored in Hebrew was be, to try to get to some of these issues. But there's a lot of debate just unrelated to the theology that develops. There's a lot of debate over over some of these intricate grammatical points, and you'll find scholars who, you know, who debate back and forth. So, the uh, grammar doesn't necessarily, you know, as at least for them, we would think, well, yeah, that that pretty much solves it because that seems to be the normal use. But they would say, no, well, there's a exception here, exception there, and things like that. Yeah, and and the, the same. Principles are not applicable, or not only applicable to Genesis one, but basically the interpretation of the first eleven chapters, and those that take an old earth generally are local flood, for example, as well. So it kind of spills over, but I think the bottom line is how much authority do you give to Scripture, as opposed to how much authority do you give to scientific. Theory. Don't forget that part. Scientific theory. Let me let me ask you a question here, as as because I had to step out a few times and didn't catch it. Are they using like genre? Their their view of genre to, would override Cam. That would override the grammar because it's genre. Is that am I? Uh, not right? so not so much not, in this. Book. Not with them. But that is okay. the case in a lot of these others that would fall into the similar camp. Okay. Yeah, like the walkies and those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then they because they're saying, well, this is this kind of literature that would trump the whatever the grammar rule, yeah, grammar issues were. So Charlie I shouldn't use the word trump. Somebody might think I was getting <laughs> <laughs> political. Uh, it seems like this is another classical instance of the myopia of people who write books like this because they think that by tampering with Genesis 1, they've solved the problem. They haven't solved the problem no. because you've got longevity. Yeah. The whole issue of human longevity, 930 years asymptotically denying after the, uh, declining right. after the flood. Um, you've got the issue of the supernaturalness of the exodus. You've got the global thing of the flood. I mean, we can go on and list yeah. a dozen problems here. Right. So they think that they've solved the problem of Genesis, of, of the Bible and science by just dealing with Genesis 1. Yeah. Got news. Yep. The Bible is supernatural from one end to the other. Right. So if you're going to try to tweak uh, Genesis 1, you have to tweak Genesis 6. Genesis 7, Genesis 8. You've got to also tweak the age decline. 
So it, it just opens up a Pandora's box. Right. And they, these, are, these authors never address it. That yeah. They act and they leave the impression with their books that they've solved the problem tweaking Genesis 1, and they haven't. Right, right. And by the way, an encouragement to those of you that don't have a science background, if you do a careful, just accurate, objective exegesis of all of these early chapters in the book of Genesis, you will have a better scientific grasp of all of those issues than if you know any science at all. That's why I think a 10-year-old, if you have them, you ask them the questions, you ask them, well, how long did it take God to create six days it says so right there <coughs> that'll give you far better answers than uh, your professor that has a PhD in both theology and science <laughs> any other questions we're right well, on well, time in terms of equal opportunity I guess we have to cruise on to the next That's part right. of the sec- session <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a 20-minute or less break until we come to the the next session, which is going to be really, really interesting, especially if you've never seen a, a Seder presentation, okay?